Thanks. <clears throat> Thanks, Jared. Appreciate you. Jared did a great, great job last Sunday. The living water. Uh, Jared went into uh, detail on that. And uh, it's for us today, that living water. I hope you grab some this morning, besides just regular water. Okay. As we get started, grab your Bibles, open up to John chapter 7. We're going to start around verse 40. We've been at the, the last great day of the, uh, the feast, the Feast of the Tabernacles. They, they build little booths. They do kind of a family camp, and, and they'd celebrate. And the priests each day would kind of take center stage, and they'd go and they'd get water from the Pool of Siloam, and they'd bring it back, and they'd pour that water out. And it was a reminder that in the desert... In the wanderings of the children of Israel, God provided for them all that they needed, including the living water. And so the priests were marching back, and this is the last great day, and they and they had a double portion of the living water, and they start pouring out the, the living water and, and their center stage. But Jesus upstages them. <laughs> he stands up. And we look at verses in review, 37 and 38. He stood up and he cried out in the midst of their ceremony, no less. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So the first part we're going to look at, verses 40 through 43, the crowd now responds to what Jesus, the invitation that Jesus gave. So let's look at that. Verse 40. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, they said, well, truly this is the prophet. This is the guy that Moses said would come after him. It's it's Jesus. Others said, we think he's the Christ. But some who would that be? It would be uh, the religious leaders. Well, <clears throat> will the Christ come out of Galilee? You see, they're the Bible experts. <laughs> and, and verse 42, Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem, where David was from? And so there was a division among the people because of him. And the first note that you have, number one, is we know, and they should have known if they would would have been willing to ask questions, we know that Jesus was of the seed of David and that he did come from Bethlehem. Um, That's where he first touched down on this earth. If the religious leaders really wanted to know well, they could have just simply asked Jesus. You're from Galilee. You should, if you're who you say you are, you should be from Bethlehem. He would have told them. Or one of his brothers. Or Mary. But they didn't. What they were doing, they didn't like the invitation that he was giving, and they certainly didn't want to come to him. And so they were hiding behind uh, this idea that, well, he just doesn't measure up to Scripture. And they're rejecting Jesus. 
verses 44 through 53 talks about the Jewish leaders and their rejection of Jesus, but more than their rejection, they're, they're coming after him. They're going to take him out. Verse 44. Now some of them wanted to take him, literally take him out, uh, but they couldn't lay a hand on him. It wasn't his time. In verse 45, the officers who they sent, they came back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who sent them, and they go, why have you not brought him? We sent you out to arrest him. And they said, well, no man ever spoke like this man. And your notes, they said, we went to arrest him, but we ended up being arrested by him and by his words. No one has ever taught and spoke like he did. You know, it's obvious, even to his critics, those that were sent to arrest Jesus, that he was more than a mere man. Verse 47, as we go on. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you deceived? (laughs) Has he deceived you too? Have any of the rulers, the guys that know what they're talking about, that know the word of God, that that have a direct relationship with God, that are the holy people, have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? And the answer, of course, I don't think so. But this crowd, now they're among themselves talking about the crowd who are fallen for Jesus, starting to believe in him. They don't know. They don't know the law. They don't know the word. They're accursed. Now that's not a nice thing to say about the congregation. (laughs) But that's who these leaders were. Zero grace. Zero mercy. mercy, Zero love for the people. And it's really starting to show. Now Nicodemus, it's interesting, he's one of them. He's the guy that came at night Um, And he said to them, hey, you guys, verse 51, wait a minute. Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? In other words, you guys haven't even opened your heart enough to go and just ask him and talk to him. Now, remember, Nicodemus came at night. Why did he come at night? Because he was afraid of these other religious leaders and what they would say about him and and how they would treat him. He's now come forward in in the light of the conviction that he's feeling in his heart and he just can't hold it in anymore. I think when Nicodemus came to Jesus and he realized that he had to open his heart and he must be born again, I think that night that he talked with Jesus, I think before he left, he opened his heart Jesus and he believed in Jesus so he's a Pharisee but he now defends Jesus what are the other leaders going to think of him making a stand for Jesus well let's see they answered him verse 52 they answered and said to him are you also from Galilee hey search and look No prophet has arisen out of Galilee. They ridicule and they mock him. 
Nicodemus, are, are you just one of the common people? You don't even know the word? Nick, come on, buddy. Are you unlearned? I, I, thought, I thought you were one of us, but you're sure not acting like it. No prophet has come out of Galilee. Well, let's look at that a little bit. We're going to sidetrack just a tiny bit to, to look at that statement. It's interesting to note that these Bible geniuses, they didn't know the facts of Scripture themselves. According to 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, there was indeed a prophet that came out of Galilee. Do you know who he might be? Jonah. Jesus would later even tell them about Jonah, And he told these religious leaders, there will be no sign given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And that is recorded in Matthew chapter 12. So he's saying to them, the prophet you forgot, the, the prophet that you don't really care about, and why was that? Well, probably because Jonah was actually sent to Gentiles. And the last thing that they wanted was to give Gentiles an opportunity to come to their God and be a part of their religion. And they, and, and Jesus is telling them, this is the guy, as a prophet, that is pointing to me. So look at number three on your notes. Not only was there a prophet that arose out of Galilee, but Jonah was literally a type of or a picture of Christ. For we see in Matthew 12:40, Jesus says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And Jesus was speaking of his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. Those pompous religious leaders, well, they thought they had the final word. There's no prophet that comes out of Galilee. They were wrong. Everyone responds. They're closing down the service. Jesus, we've had enough of you. You're wrong. A prophet from Galilee? No. And everyone, verse 53, went to his own house. That is, everyone except Jesus. Where did Jesus go? Well, we see in the opening verse of chapter 8. But Jesus, chapter 8, verse 1, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So he exits the temple. He crosses the Kidron Valley. He climbs up the Mount of Olives, and he heads to uh, Gethsemane. Possibly, he and the disciples just camped out that night on that mountain. You see, this was one of the favorite places that Jesus loved to go with his disciples. And he loved to go there just to spend time with his father, the Garden of Gethsemane. The next verses in chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, we're going to see Jesus' love for the woman that was caught in adultery. Verse 2, Now early in the morning, 
So they're on the mountain. They come down the Mount of Olives. They head right back to the temple. You've got to love Jesus. Right back to the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. So the morning after the Feast of the Tabernacles and the dust is cleared and the, and the religious leaders think they've got everything nailed down, Jesus is back in the temple. And he's again ready to meet with any who are going to take him up on his offer. If anyone is thirsty, if you're thirsty, if your heart is open and it's, and it's dry, and, and, and your life is crusty, just come to me. And out of your innermost being will come a, a river of living water. And so the crowd, they've come back and they've found Jesus. But the religious leaders, they had a different agenda. They were coming, but not because they were thirsty. Verse 3. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, you can see them bringing her in and just throwing her down in front of everybody and right in front of Jesus. And they said to him, Teacher, in other words, so you think you're a teacher of the word of God? This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. There's no, about it, no doubt about this. Caught her in the very act. Makes you wonder how they caught her in the very act. Uh, where was the man if they caught her in the very act? The last time I checked, it took two people for adultery to happen. The fact that the man is just conspicuously gone. He's not there. It's a setup. And they're doing this to trap Jesus. They've trapped this woman. They've brought her here, and it's a trap for Jesus. So they go on, verse 5. So if you know God's word, if you're a teacher, how about what Moses said? This is God's word. This is scripture. In the law, Moses commanded us that such a one as this, and there she is sitting in front of them, they're pointing at her, should be stoned. But what do you say? So here's Jesus. If Jesus said stone her, the tax collectors, the street people, they would no longer feel comfortable around him. You see, Jesus was noted to be a friend of sinners. They, the, the religious leader would point at him, well, he's a friend of sinners. Well, yes, that's who he is. On the other hand, if he said, well, just let her go, he would be dishonoring the very word of God that they're pointing out to him. Huh. They had him trapped. Gotcha now, Jesus. Or do they? Verse 6, so this they said, they're testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him, take him out, and end up crucifying him. But Jesus, he just, they're, they're railing at him, and they're pointing at the woman, and they're saying, what are you going to do, Jesus? 
What are you going to do? The Bible says this, and Jesus just stooped down and he began to write on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear them. And they're going, we're talking to you. Look at us. What are you going to do? Here's this woman caught in adultery. This is what God's Word says. What are you going to do? Look at number four on your notes. It's interesting. In Exodus 31.18, it says that we see the finger of God himself writing on the tablets of stone. You shall not commit adultery. 2,000 years later, we see the finger of God once more. This time, the hand of Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior, Titus 2.13, is writing with his finger in the dust of the earth. So, they're railing at him. Verse 7, they're coming at him. They're backing him into that corner, and they continued asking him, And he raised himself up, and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, you can take the stones that you brought in to stone this woman with, and you can go ahead and you can throw the first stone. But then I think he's also saying, you might want to take a look at what I'm writing on the ground with my finger. You might want to be careful. So he stands in defense. Our rock of ages stands against these men with rocks in their hands. He stooped down and he keeps writing. This time they're paying close attention to what he's writing on the ground. You can bet they're intently looking at what he's writing on the ground. I love what McGee says about this. Only uh, J. Vernon McGee could pull this off. What did he write? Well, of course, we don't know. He says, I can make a suggestion. Perhaps he wrote the name of a woman living in Rome that one old pious Pharisee had a affair with in Rome when he was a young leader. His wife doesn't know about it. No one in Jerusalem knows about it. But our Lord knew about it. Our Lord knew about that old rascal. And he wrote the name of another woman. The old Pharisee came over. He saw it. And he suddenly remembered, Oh, I have an appointment I'm late for. I'm out of here. Perhaps one of the scribes made regular trips to Ephesus to a certain address over there. And Jesus is writing that address in the sand. And the scribe looks, and he goes, oh, my gracious. (laughs) And he left hurriedly, one by one. Verse 9, one by one, then those who heard it, and I believe looking at what Jesus wrote in the dust, being convicted by their conscience. In other words, this guy knows. (laughs) They went out one by one beginning with the oldest, even to the last. We'll stop there. Look at note number five. Psalm 90, verse 8. 
Maybe that's a prophecy psalm about this very time when God is writing secret sins of these religious leaders. You, God, have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. See, only God himself could uncover their secret sins. One by one, they slip away. This is literally another sign given to them that Jesus Christ is the Son of the very God. Jesus is God, very God, God the Son. Well, we go on with verse 9. So Jesus is left alone there while the woman's with him and the crowd is still there. They've watched all this take place. They've seen these pompous religious leaders starting with the most prestigious, the oldest ones, just start to leave, to take off. They're, they're shocked at what has happened. And Jesus is left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up, verse 10, and saw no one but the woman, the Pharisees, the accusers, the witnesses are all gone. He said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? And then he says something really interesting. Has no one condemned you? That word condemn is the idea of pronouncing final judgment, a condemnation, and the penalty, pronouncing the penalty for that condemnation. Another word from McGee. Jesus gives requirements for being a judge, which is something for all of us to hear. We've we have the right to be the judge of others provided we meet these requirements. The requirement is sinlessness. May I say to you, my friend, I don't know about you, but that takes me out of the stone throwing business. Only Jesus could have thrown the stone at her. All the others have slinked away. What hypocrites they were. And she said, Response to Jesus, verse 11. No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Well, I'll back up a little bit. When she says, No one, Lord. She could have said, No one, sir. Or she could have said, No one, teacher. Or she could have said, No one, rabbi. But what does she say? She says, no one, Lord. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says that no one can call Jesus Lord except by the Spirit of God. This tells me that in her heart, Jesus has broken through. She's amazed at this man. And somehow she's given her heart to him already. No one, Lord. And Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you. Now in the strictest sense of the law, 
the law said, the law of Moses, there's got to be two or three witnesses on the stand that swear that this is the case before there can be a judgment like this. In the strictest sense, the hypocrisy of these witnesses has taken them out, and there are no witnesses. There's no one to witness against her. But Jesus has one more final word, and I I love this. And then he says to her, and you need to hear the love in his heart as he says this. It's like she's being set free. She's being valued and loved by Jesus. He's understanding how she's been abused and misused. He's knowing all that she's gone through in her life. He knows how men have abused her. And he says basically to her, you're free to to go now and to not have to sin anymore. To go and sin no more. So, number six on your notes. Is Jesus nullifying the law? No. Jesus is placing his cross of Calvary between this woman and the sin that she had committed. Jesus will soon be going to Calvary's cross. He will be bearing the penalty for her sin and for the sins of the whole world for anyone who will come to him with an open heart and ask for forgiveness. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, John 3:17. He did not come into the world to condemn to judge this woman. He came into the world to save this woman, to be her Lord and her Savior. And she says, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I. I'm sure that she became one of his most devoted disciples. A cynical attitude, a hurting heart, maybe even a padlock closed up tight. Jesus opened that heart for eternity. And then he makes one more statement, and I think it has to do with how he's forgiven this woman and what he said to her. Go and sin no more. So we look at verse 12, the I am the light of the world statement. And Jesus spoke to them again. And the woman is still standing there. And it's as a jeweler who takes a beautiful diamond and shines a light on it and puts a darkness behind it so you see the brilliance of the diamond. It's like Jesus shining a light. He is the light on the background of the, of the hate and the, and the wickedness and, and, and the darkness of these religious leaders. And the brilliance of the love of Christ just sparkles. And we see it in this woman's response and in this woman's life. Saying, verse 12 as we finish, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So, a question Number seven on your notes. How would this woman 
How could she possibly go and sin no more? What's going on here? Put her, put her in that verse. She who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Note this. A key to what a changed life is, a radically changed life, a key to how it comes about, what happens inside of us when we come to Jesus and we confess that he is our Lord and we mean it from the bottom of our heart, live under the influence of Jesus' light, and he will be the one who drives out the darkness. All you have to do is come to him. Fall in love with him. Open your heart to him like you've never opened your heart before. Oh, he will love you. He will wrap his arms around you. He will forgive you. And the light of his life will begin to shine within you and change you from the inside out. And it's a miraculous work that only Christ can do. As Tyler comes and we sing this last song, I see this song as maybe even a picture of this woman and how she felt and what she went through and how she gave her heart to Jesus and how Jesus stood in her place and died on the cross in her place and now she's set free. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. My light has shined upon you, and as you follow me, I will drive the darkness out of your life, bit by bit by bit. Let's stand and just kind of picture this woman as we sing this song. If you just close your eyes, I can just picture this gal standing there, and maybe even from her heart singing that song to Jesus. I know that's me too. That's what Christ, that's what my Jesus, that's what he's done for me. How can it be? Wow. Oh, the grace and mercy and the truth of our Lord. Oh, that he would come and love us and die for us and live for us and live in us and be the light of our life. Anyone who hasn't received Jesus as their Savior, he says, come to me. If you're thirsty, and drink of me. And don't forget, once he's become your Lord, he wants to be your Savior day by day and be the light for your life and to lead you and drive the darkness out. Lord Jesus, as we close this service, we're reminded 
of how awesome and loving and full of grace that you are. Lord, may we renew each of our commitments to you this day before we walk away from this place. We pray in thanksgiving and in Jesus' name. Amen. There will be some elders up front to pray with you if you'd like to pray with them. God bless. Say hi to somebody before you take off. Good to have you here today. Thanks so much.